Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to part two of Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery in General podcast and our look at video game music. Now, we've talked a lot about some of the music that you know we've really enjoyed, but let's talk a little bit about some of the other functions of video game music. And, you know, usually there's going to be four types, main types of video game music. Uh, the first, the title screen music. And I don't know about you, but I think that this can be a very important piece of music because it really kind of captures your first impression of what the game is going to be about or what it's going to be like. So are there any video game title screen musics that really stick out for you? Well, you know what? And I'm going to go back to your favorite Zelda. Okay. Um, I remember, and this is just another um, old memory of mine, uh, the Sears and the Wasa Mall. They had one of those Nintendo kiosks that had like 12 or 16 games on it. You push the little red button, you get to play like 10 seconds of it or whatever, and then it would restart. And Zelda was almost always the one that everybody played, even though we all know that 10 seconds doesn't get you anything in Zelda. No. <laughs> um, but it had an attract mode. And the attract mode was just that opening music. And just from the title screen, I'm just like, I want to play that. I mean, it could be the worst game in the world, but I want to play that because that music is drawing me in. And I worked at an arcade in the past. I worked at an Aladdin's Castle. And the arcade machines, they do that as well. They've got an attract mode where it plays the music. And, and of course, in arcade, everything's fighting with each other. But you're exactly right, though. Those opening title screens are what draw you in to spend your money either on buying the game or putting a quarter token in because without it, it's just like, well, okay, I can stand there and watch it or this music can draw me over. I'd have to say one type game that has title screen music that really, you know, drew me in skate or die too, because not only did it have a, a guitar, well, it just did a, um, you know, a remix or a, you know, a different version of the, the music from skate or die one, but it was a lot better, but they also had a digitalized voice going skate or die, sk 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 skate or die, okay. die. And, you know, of course, it's no big deal by today's standards. It's just back then you usually didn't hear a lot of this, uh, you know, you usually didn't hear a lot of, um, you know, digitalized voices on the NES. No, no, it's it's like listening to a digitalized voice, like, or it's like listening to a, a ringtone on a Nokia phone. It's like, eh, okay, it can sound okay, but it's it, we've come a long way, baby. Let's just put it there. Oh yeah, and I'd have to say another, you know, when you're talking about title screen music, that you know, it really draws you in, but unfortunately, it doesn't always quite do what it's. Uh, it doesn't always live up to the game, or the game doesn't live up to it. X Men for the NES. I remember when I first popped that in, it was one of those games that made a good first impression because, you know, the title screen music sounded kind of cool and, you know, the the graphics for the characters in the opening screen, you know, the attract were actually pretty good. But right. unfortunately, then you started playing the game. <laughs> you know, and yeah, it's we don't even know need to go any further than that, <laughs> to be quite honest. I'm sure you can find a used copy of it at any used game store for like a quarter or something. So get it, take it back and get 10 cents back or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm thinking of one that like that had a good attract um, battle toads. Okay. Battle toads had a really good opening um, title theme for it. In fact, not only the little the intro story and everything else, but, and this is something that the Nintendo nerd also talked about 
was it was one of the few, if not only, games that had its own pause theme. Whenever you, whenever you paused the game, it actually played something entirely different. I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, ah, yeah, exactly. And I'm just like, ah, oh, crap, something's wrong with it. And I'm like, kind of tap the TV. And I'm like, no, it's supposed to be doing that. And the pro was that it was cool for a little while. <laughs> yeah. The con was like, if you wanted to be quiet, you had to turn the TV off or mute it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah, we've got the so title screen music. Again, we we both agree that yeah, it's something that you know gives you a good first impression of a game. Now, the second type of music you're usually going to see in games is stage music, and this is something that I think is very important because, well, you know, if you're let's look at Mario Super Mario Brothers again. You know, we already mentioned that, okay, you got your overworld theme, you got your underground theme, your underwater theme, and then your, you know, castle theme, where, you know, like the the creepy music from the castle, you know, that fit perfectly. You know, you couldn't do like a real cheery, upbeat stage theme in, you know, in that part of the game and have it really make sense or have it work out. Sure, right. So uh, when you talk about video game stages, what are some, uh, what makes a stage music work for you? What makes it work? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, and we've talked about a few of these already. Um, Just depending on the stage itself and if it's appropriate, you know, um, Adventure Island, if you played that one. Yes. Um, Little, the dude with the little loincloth on and the baseball cap, of course. Yep. (laughs) Um, He's running through the jungle and you know, throwing axes, finding eggs and eating fruit. And just, it's just goofy. And the music itself is just very appropriate. Cause I mean, it's kind of a bouncy, almost flowery, if that's really a way to describe music for that. And then of course you get to the boss and, you know, we'll talk about that later, but for the stage, it's, it fits it, you know, and you know, Castlevania stages, almost all of it sounds like Gothic eight bit music. It fits it, you know, Mario brothers underworld, I underground is like my favorite piece of music and of the four pieces of Super Mario Brothers because I think it just captures being underground the best. Yeah, and when you're talking about stage music, uh, you know, again, we were talking a little about this a little bit before with uh, Journey to Silius. You know, one of the the things that really you know made that game pop was I thought that the the stage music fit perfectly for just about every stage. And, you know, the game was definitely a lot better off for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's funny because I, when you play, you know, your character is always running and they've got the guy's got a good running animation. I mean, that's I know it's a silly thing, but he's got a really good running animation. But if you sit there and you run from left to right and listen to the music, it's almost as if he's keeping time with the music. I never. Never looked at it that way. I'll have to pop that game in again sometime and give it a try. So also another game for the 16-bit era that, again, had, I think it just had really atmospheric music. Both of the ActRaiser games, both had really good music, but ActRaiser 2, that had some of the most realistic classical music as far as I'm concerned. I didn't actually get into ActRaiser 2. Unfortunately, it was one that was kind of past I've already moved on to a different system, but I played it through emulation and um, you're right. It's, it's got very good music to it. Again, we talked about, you know, rock and roll racing, having pretty decent guitar type music. Um, 
and getting with the appropriate, this is a kind of a cult hit by LucasArts. It was Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Okay. It was great mu- great movie, gr- uh, movie, I'm sorry, <laughs> great, great game. Um, the music was fantastic, and I mean, it's kind of a B-movie as a game. Yeah, that's what I've heard people, uh, that's how I heard a lot of people describe it, where it's like you took a B-movie, you know, the look and feel and sound of a B-horror film and turned it into a video game. And it succeeds in that respect, and um, it's absolutely worth it, two players at the same time, or a single player, incredibly hard later on. <laughs> um, yep. Um, Contra for the 64 or Super Nintendo I mean. Okay. Contra 3, the original Contra is as we all know one of the most seminal Konami games out there. Um tough as nails. Um most people probably couldn't beat it without using the code. Yeah, guilty as charged. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I'll tell you what, as many times as I rented that game, I probably could have owned it about 7 or 8 times now. <laughs> um but which is the reason I bought F Zero when I did because I rented it so many times or my parents rented it for me that I'm like you know what screw this it's on sale at Camelot Music I'm just gonna go buy it yeah <laughs> um, but getting back with uh, with Contra that one had very you know jungle warfare you got your your two like Arnold looking type guys that are running through trying to defeat the alien menace and Contra for the Super Nintendo ramped it up it gave it more of an atmospheric feel it kind of deepened the bass. And it even remixed some of the music from the 8-bit version, like the When You Defeat a Boss theme, which, to me, I love that little nod to the older games. Yeah, that's always cool when, whenever they have a newer system, when they do remix something from an older game. Because, again, you're taking a classic piece of music that you know and you love, and they're, they're seeing what they can do with better technology. So right. that's, I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed Super Castlevania 4 so much. Mm-hmm. And eventually when I picked it up for the virtual console, um, the Castlevania Rondo of Blood, where, you know, again, they've got these remixes of these older NES themes that actually sound really, really damn cool. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, and I was going to say, you know, I'm going to guess we probably have pretty much the same ones downloaded on virtual console. <laughs> As, as it sounds thus far, at least. Um, with the Castlevania, I mean, that's just a whole beast in itself. I mean, that's an easily hour of conversation, and we wouldn't even have to get out of the 16-bit era. Oh, yeah, um, I'm sure we could do it. In, yeah, Final Fantasy and Castlevania are two game series that I could probably do an entire episode just about the music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, what I was going to mention here was, uh, in fact, it kind of went, but then it came, and now it's back. Um, and now it kind of went again, so I'm okay. sure it'll come up again. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, moving on. <laughs> so usually at the end of a stage, you know, it's not unusual in a lot of games to fight a boss. So almost always you're going to have something different for the boss theme. And that's one of the things that I think can really make a boss fight um, is, you, you know, you, you're probably going to make you're probably going to choose a track that's going to be a lot more serious or a lot more aggressive sounding because you're fighting a monster that's, you know, significantly tougher than you've faced so far. Yeah. And, and as I was thinking, as mentioning here too, urgent, you know, I mean, usually you're going through your stage, depending on the game, there may not be a time involved. It's just kind of get there when you do, but then when you do all of a sudden, you know, you can tell that it's about to, it's it's on you know and perfect example would be um we'll go back to Mega Man. as soon as you, you walk in that first set of doors 
that um, you get in that one little save zone right before you actually get in with the boss robot, it's like, okay, here's my breather. Let's just, we're, we're getting ready for this. As soon as you get in there, the boss music starts. It's like, oh, crap. <laughs> um, so, Another game that I thought had good boss music, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Oh, God. I could I could talk on that one for hours. Yeah, yeah, that's another one of those games that just had a phenomenal soundtrack. And the boss theme uh, that for most of the bosses you encountered, Festival of Servants. Mm-hmm. Uh, that yeah. was a really good piece. Also, the uh, Succubus, she had her own theme. Of course, Dracula. I don't know. I didn't really like Dracula's theme in that game as much. It seemed a little phoned in to me. Um, my favorite, or one of my favorites, I think is, I'm, I'm sure you've played the game probably a lot. Um, it was the one, I, God, I can't remember what the title of the theme is called, but it's the one where you basically have the big sphere of bodies. Oh, um, Legion. Yes, that one, or else the one dude who like fires electricity at you towards the end of the game. Uh, Gamoroth? Yes. Or Gamelon, something, two, I think it's Gamelon. Yes, those two are probably two of my favorite boss musics. Yeah, and um, the, also, um, uh, trying to think which game it was, okay, it left my mind. But, oh yeah, um, the uh, boss theme in, that they used for Dracula after uh, Rondo of Blood, um, well, actually, it premiered in Rondo of Blood, Dance of Illusion. Okay, which, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they've used as uh, Dracula's theme music in a lot of games. And, uh, you know, because, of course, it debuted in Rondo of Blood. They used it and they redid it for Symphony of, of the Night. And mm-hmm. I know they've also done it in Castlevania Judgment. And I think there have been other uh, Castlevania games that I haven't played, but that they used... Uh, that they used a, a version of a new version of Dance of Illusion, and I was going to say the Dracula one. I mean, the one that first stands out to me because the eight bit one. I'll be honest; I never heard from playing it because I wasn't good enough to get there. Um, I think I beat the Grim Reaper once, and then I got my ass handed to me. Um, but I have to say the one from Super Nintendo, because getting there to the one on Super Nintendo as you're walking up those stairs, it's just it's just that sinking feeling. It's just like and it's almost like you can feel the temperature going down. Exactly. It just just starts adding up, and then all of a sudden you get in there, and it's just like, okay, let's just get this done or kill me because I want this over with. (laughs) I actually remember what I was going to mention before with the throwbacks. Um, This is getting back with, um, if you remember when on Super Nintendo they came up with Mario All-Stars. Yep. Mario All-Stars, they redid all of the music from Mario 1, 2, and 3, and then Lost Levels, which was hard as balls. But that one, they took, like, for example, the underground theme from Super Mario Brothers, and they added, like, almost like a beat to it. Yeah, I do like the version, they, the remix they did of the, the, the underground theme for uh, Mario All-Stars. That was really well done. Yeah, and that's, that's one of, another one that I taped, because I was just like, this is really, really cool. So, sorry to cut, go back there. Oh, but, no problem. Uh, oh, yes, and another old NES game that just had really good music in general, um, Metal Gear 2, Snake's Revenge. Okay, yeah. Okay, but the game wasn't really... I didn't really get too, too far in the game, but yeah, the music was just awesome in that one. So, okay, another type of music... Well, actually, there's a fifth type, uh, which I don't know if we're going to go into this, because there's, of course, end of, you know, game end themes, or, well, let me phrase that, ending themes, where 
you know, the boss has finally been beaten and, you know, it's now time to, you know, you rescue the princess, you save the world or whatever, you know, usually you're going to have a grand theme for the, for the ending. And Mm -hmm. which I know I want to talk about, I just want, I want to do an entire episode just on video game endings one of these days, but you know, of course you've got to have a memorable theme for the ending because, you know, you saved the world, you know, you got to have something to make that, you know, all the, the time you put in that game feel worthwhile for the player. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know what? And you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but honestly, in all of the eight bit Nintendo games I played, it's not that common. I mean, most of the eight bit games, it kind of has just a little bit of a, a blurb. Like, yeah, let's go Super Mario for a second. It's just like, do, 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 do. And that's pretty much it. I'm like, okay. You know, we get into like the Mega Man games on the other hand, they ramped it up. I mean, they've got a full great theme to it. Um, granted, Mega Man 2 actually kind of goes into the title theme. But the one, if you remember, as he's walking away at yeah. the end of Mega Man 2, that's almost heart-wrenching. Oh, yeah. It it does. It has a nice emotional feel to it. And another game that has a really good ending theme for the NES, Star Tropics. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that game had a really good ending theme. Uh, when you're going into the 16-bit um, the Final Fantasy games there, both uh, 4, 6, and Mystic Quest, all three of them had really good ending suites. You know, and role-playing, typically role-playing is pretty good for that. The Mario, uh, I think it's The Legend of the Seven Stars is the Mario RPG. That one, when you finish, that one had a really good ending as well. And Donkey Kong Country, that one, they all had really good ending. And it's, again, it's a good idea to put a good piece of music at the end because you're exactly right. You put so much blood, sweat and tears and depending on the person, if they're a true gamer or not blisters, um, <laughs> you know, you get into this and all of a sudden you just get this ending screen. Like let's say um, Friday the 13th game over. Jason might come back to life. I'm like, well, that was kind of a boring. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think part of it is, you know, you got to consider um, the, you know, limitations of the 8-bit systems where they probably really couldn't do a lot with the ending. But that's one of the things that was so cool about the the 16-bit era is, you know, they since they had more, you know, memory on those cartridges to work with, they could give you a better ending. It wasn't just like, well, like Ghostbusters for the NES. Again, oh, the video game nerd, you know, he did that one where there was, of course, it was horribly spelled, and it was just like this screen of text, like, you know, you saved the world. You know, you are a great hero. Congratulations. It's it's affectionately known as English. Yes. Which, and <laughs> and I think it's part of it was because, if I'm not mistaken, um, translating from Japanese to English uh, can be kind of tricky because, uh, at least that's what was explained to me, there's some letters that, while there's two ways to pronounce it in English, Mm-hmm. In Japanese, they might be pronounced very similar. Like, I believe L and R are an example where, you know, again, it's a letter that it it can be pronounced differently. Um, like Rygar. And the the last boss is Ligar. So it's like, yeah, it's, I don't speak Japanese, so I'm not. But that's just what I've heard about it. That uh, That's okay. one of the reasons why it can be kind of tricky to translate, um, you know, from the from Japanese to English, which is why we had all of this English uh, back in, back in the day. 
you know, and of course, some of the best ones too. I think this is a Genesis game. Was um, um, all your base are belong to us? Yeah, for uh, Zero Wing. Yes, that I couldn't remember the name, but yes, um, that one itself. I mean, that's like pretty much the prime. We have set us up the bomb. <laughs> Someone um, has set us up the bomb. Right. It's, so I mean, it's it's comical, and I mean, I know some newer games actually do that on purpose as kind of a throwback, but back then, I mean. It was just funny. It, it really is going back. It's just very entertaining. Yeah. And the final type of music that we usually see in video games, and of course there's some minor ones, like if you go into a shop, you know, sometimes you get different music for shops or inns, but character themes. And this is another one where I think a lot of role-playing games really hit the spot because you might have a certain character that, you know, when they appear, their theme plays. A good example I can think of off the top of my head is Final Fantasy VI. You know, all of the characters in there had their respective themes, like uh, Cyan, the uh, samurai of Doma. You know, he had his very distinctive theme. Gao had his, um, you know, Mog, Umaro. You know, they had their own special theme music. Mm Mm-hmm. And Chrono Trigger is another example where each one of the characters had their special theme. And one of the things I liked about that game is, you know, when you get to a certain point, you you know, you can only have three people in your party. So when you're traveling through time with your fourth party member, it takes you to the end of time. And that's kind of this little hub world where you can recover life and you can save your game. But that's also where you switch out characters. Mm -hmm. And... You know, it's kind of cool whenever you uh, talk to one of your characters and add them to the party, it plays their theme music. So are there any character theme musics that really stand out for you or any games that you feel did a really good job with the theme music? The role-playing that I've had in Mario RPG, once again, I know I've brought that up a few times, the individual ones like Malo and Gino, I mean, they all have their different... Uh, tones to themes. I mean, it's not like a full three-minute theme per person, but I mean, it's definitely got a um, a different um, edge to it. Um, kind of like, and this is just um, jumping to a different genre here too. That's like Mario World. You know, like when if you're playing it, you hear one thing, but if you're on Yoshi's back, you hear with the drums. Oh yeah. Um, I have to say that Earthbound did really well for me because not only did every different every area, like literally every area have a different theme, like all, um, however many towns you're in, you know, uh, one at Tucson, three and four side. Um, but you're in Mr. Saturn's village. You're in, um, the deep underworld. You're in the, the desert town. I mean, every single one of them has a different theme. So the, the fact that they didn't recycle everything that, so it's almost like the towns are characters and they've got their own themes that way. That'd be the way I look at it. You know, that's interesting. I never looked at that game in that from that particular perspective. Uh, you know, of course, the Saturn Valley theme is very distinctive. The do, 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 oh, that's do, one of my favorites, too. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and that's where I think, you know, usually with character themes, when they can invoke some sort of emotion in you. Like uh, one of my favorite character themes is Chrono's theme from Chrono Trigger. Mm-hmm. You know, where it's this very, you know, bold, dashing theme or another theme that has the same effect on me lock from final fantasy six you know you can kind of picture this swashbuckling you know treasure hunting character when you hear that music 
Okay. Um, another thing I was thinking too here is that if you remember ever playing um, X-Men Mutant Apocalypse. A couple times, yeah. You had to pick your different X-Men at the beginning, at least. You had your five different characters. You had to pick each individual one. And each individual character, be it Gambit or Beast or whatever, had their own stage music. And then later on in the game, it would depend on who you pick on how it's going to play. But that was kind of another one where they kind of have their own flavor to it. And I think that worked out pretty well, too. Like Wolverine's going to be like the gruff and hard guitar-ish. And um, you've got kind of a noble-ish one for when Cyclops is out there. So, I mean, that that I think works successfully as well. Yeah, I, I never got far enough in uh, Mutant Apocalypse to know. So, <laughs> but any... Now, do you, do you ever have this? And this is just a little side thought here. Do you, do you ever go back now as a, I'm going to use finger quotes here, adult? and try to play a game that you could just beat left, right with like one arm tied behind your back as a kid. But now it's like, damn, this is hard. Hmm. I'm not, not really. I mean, I think most of the games that I played as a kid, if I couldn't beat it, then I probably still can't beat it now. Um, well, actually there is one exception. The first Castlevania game. Hmm. I never beat that game until I bought it for the Wii virtual console. And okay. that's mainly because, you know, you could create the save states. That's pretty okay. much the only re- – well, not really true save states. You could suspend your game because, um, of course, since that game didn't have, you know, a save feature or password, you know, of course, you know, once you died and you turned off your NES, when you turn it back on again, you had to start over from the very beginning. Right, right. Um, I remember um, if you've – have you beaten or have you gotten to the end of Bionic Commando? I – Almost beat it. I remember uh, when my cousin and I once, we had rented it, and we got to the last boss because I remember the last boss when it's like you say, do you intend to stop me? You damn fool. I remember that part, but we didn't get past the – because I guess there's like some doomsday machine you have to fight before it. The albatross. Yeah, and I think we didn't didn't take the right weapon because if my memory serves me correctly – some of the bosses in that game you can only beat if you have the right weapon. Um, It's not so much the bosses beating them. There's a couple that you can't get. There's like an impenetrable wall that you have to basically destroy with one weapon. Like there's one, I think it's number eight, where you have to use the three shot. Well, this three shot thing, it like fires maybe an inch in front of you <laughs> and then an inch above and below. It's useless as hell. So what I would do is I would go in there, basically shoot the wall to get rid of it and then back out and then put a better weapon in. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, the reason I bring that up is because on the second, either it's the second to last or the last level, I think it's number 12, you have to kind of Tarzan swing across like a bed of spikes. But the bed of spikes is like maybe a half inch off your feet to the point where if you wait just slightly too long, you start bouncing on the spikes and you die. As a kid, I could make that through. I could go through and not get hit once through that entire stage. I went and played that the other day on my Game Boy Advance. I got my ass handed to me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I own this game. What the hell? Yeah, and an interesting little fun fact about Bionic Commando. Do you know what the original name of it is in Japan? Of the character or the game itself? The game itself. Enlighten me. Top Secret, The Resurrection of Hitler. Shut up. Yeah, seriously. It's something to that effect where it's like, because in that game, um, the albatrosses were actually swastikas. And... The last boss, I mean, I don't, it's been a while since I've seen a picture of him, but he's supposed to look just like Hitler. 
and he does. Yeah. I mean, Master, Master uh, what is it, Master P or whatever, Master Z, whatever, he looks exactly like Hitler. I mean, anybody who has, knows any history at all is like, holy crap, that's Hitler. Um, and I can see the parallels. In fact, I seem to recall reading, reading an article where they showed like video of the other one and it actually had straight up swastikas, whereas what do they have, just eagles now, I think? Yeah. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that they would do something like okay. that. And, well, I just turned to Wikipedia and the uh, page for Bionic Commando for the NES originally released Hitler's Revival, Top Secret. Oh, wow. So, yeah, that was the uh, – and, and then I guess they uh, when they brought it over, they tried to tie it into the, um, the Commando series, um, which I believe Commando, the original Japanese version, was called Wolf of the Battlefield. Okay. Okay, Wikipedia, you never lie. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Okay, let me just check. Cause, yeah, I'm pretty sure that uh, that one is called the original um, Japanese one was like uh, the original name in Japan is like Wolf of the Battlefield. You know, and I do remember how it's, I mean, there's the tie-in. I mean, the original guy was Super Joe, and then that's who you have to rescue in Bionic Commando, like Rad Spencer, I think the guy's name is. And he talks about this is a guy I met back in the day, you know, and so, I mean, if you know the history at all, you can tell. But I mean, I'd be interested to go a little deeper on that to figure out how they've how they really figured that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah. The original title for it was Wolf of the Battlefield. Kind of a cool name. More cool oh, sounding yeah. than Commando. But eh, oh, well, Commando is a lot easier to, for kids to tell. I want that game Commando. Just like if can you imagine? Back when you were a kid, I mean, because I'm assuming we're about the same age or so. Yeah. Can you imagine being like, hey, mom, can you get me this game called The Revival of Hitler? What do you think your mom would say? No. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be the likeliest answer, if not a few more choice words after that. Yep. So uh, any closing thoughts before we bring this episode to the cl- a close? You know what? Uh, the only closing thing I, I was going to mention is that, you know, video game music, it may not be for everybody, but... The first thing I'll tell anybody is don't knock it till you try it because not only is it nostalgic, but it also, I mean, there's some really good music out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, exactly. I mean, some of it really does a really good job at invoking certain types of emotions. So I think we're going to draw this episode to a close. And, uh, of course, if you want to hear more of Lou and his wit and wisdom, you can catch him on, uh, you know, you and Chad, uh, you do a show Musically Challenged. So, who knows? Maybe, uh, maybe you guys might do your do your own take on video game music one of these days. You know, I'm I, I can try to talk Chad into it. I think I'd be the one doing most of the talking, though. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I know sometimes. I think have you appeared on his uh, whose podcast is it anyway? Is it once or twice? Twice. Um, I did one. In fact, I did this number two, which you did pizza as the the inaugural. Yeah, but then you, correctly. you guys did ice cream. Yep, and then my other one was movie sequels. So uh, thanks again for listening, everybody. So uh, hopefully you enjoyed the show. And hey, who knows? Maybe some of these games we've mentioned, if you've never had a chance to actually play them, uh, maybe if you're video game music aficionados like we are, maybe you'll give a go out and give them a chance. I mean, you can, of course, you can always watch, you know, playthroughs on YouTube. And there's people that they just put, you know, just the music up on YouTube. And you know, of course, there's emulators, which I I know the the legalese of that is pretty sketchy. You know, even if you don't want to do the emulators, of course, you can get a lot of these games for uh, the virtual console. Well, uh, with that said, I'd like to thank you all for listening and have a good evening or morning or afternoon, 
whatever it is, wherever you are, and happy gaming.